The e-commerce fuel podcast is sponsored by Shopify, the platform I personally use to host my own store. Why did I move to them from Magento, who I had been on for years? Well, Shopify has an enormous ecosystem of developers and apps. Their template framework and API are really well architected, and they're a hosted service, so I can focus on growing my business versus spending hours worrying about server issues. And best of all, they make me more money. Our business experienced an enormous 41% conversion increase after we migrated. Check them out at shopify.com. Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, your headquarters for building a six-figure-plus e-commerce business. I'm your host, e-commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey guys, it's Andrew here and welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast. So glad to have you with me on the show. Today, in this episode, I'm joined by Michael Jackness, who's a private forum member that joined fairly recently, last couple months, and just uh, had a really cool background. He came out of the affiliate marketing space and knows a ton about high-end domains, you know, high-level domains. He owned and sold treadmill.com. He owns cuttingboard.com. I think he owns uh, gunsafe.com, a bunch of these high-level domains. So he, he knows that market well, and he monetizes them by building out e-commerce stores on the back end of them. So it really has a lot of expertise in the domain world, which we'll be talking about. We get into his his sale of treadmill.com, which had a lot of similarities to, to the sale of trollingmotors.net. Some of the reasons uh, he sold. Um, and why I did, we had talked about that. And also talk about travel and lifestyle. He used to have a ton of employees. He's paired that back quite a bit uh, and gives some tips for traveling and working. And, and um, he's been all over the place. And so it's uh, uh, kind of a discussion all over on a lot of different topics, but but hope you enjoy it. So let's go ahead and dive right in to today's chat with Michael Jackson. Mike, originally I had wanted to, to lead off with talking about high-end domains, which is, is something I know you have a ton of experience in, talking about your treadmill.com sale. But we got talking about some stuff right before the interview, and, and man, I'm just going to bump it up to the top, talking about travel and lifestyle, and specifically to, to lead with that, managing tons of employees. I mean, you, you were telling me right before we got on that you used to have a company with 60 employees. And now, you know, you've thinned that down quite a bit. What was that like? Like, how was it trying to manage a company that size? And do you miss it? Are you intentionally keeping things lean now? What's the backstory there? Yeah. Um, when I was in online poker affiliate marketing, which is kind of the, the first online business that I had, there was explosive growth for quite a long period of time there. And we actually got to up to 66 employees at one point, And it's something that I don't miss at all. You know, there was a lot of HR issues and personality issues and just, you know, things that on a day-to-day basis, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, running the company anymore. It's like that old cliche of, you know, your business runs you. And it definitely got to that point. And it's something that I really don't miss at all. You know, I like having my pulse on more things in the business. And nowadays, uh, you know, we run as lean of a company as possible. And I basically look for needing, uh, you know, 60 or 80 hours of additional help before, you know, hiring that next 40 hour a week employee and, and spend a lot more time, you know, in the interview process and making sure we get the highest quality people possible versus just, you know, hiring the first person that comes along because you're so desperate for help. So yeah, I definitely don't miss the, <laughs> the, the larger company aspect at all. It's funny because it seems like so many people aspire to just grow big companies and I, and 
and from people I've chatted with like yourself who, who get there, some people really love it. But more often than that, even times it feels like a lot of people just feel really pinned and trapped. And it's funny. Did you find one metric I don't think people track very often, which I think would is actually one that I think has a lot of importance is revenue per employee and like profitability per employee. And did you find that as you grew up and to be a really, you know, fairly large organization that that adding additional employees didn't increase the profitability in a linear fashion that you added an extra employee, but it really, it was maybe for just a much smaller amount of of revenue or profits? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I, it's something that I've read about uh, even more recently because you see revenue per employee of companies like Facebook or, or Google, and, and the number's just like astronomical. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we had good intentions. Uh, you know, we were running, like I said, was in the online poker affiliate space. And, you know, I, I kind of call it funny money nowadays. It's like, you know, it's probably something I'll never replicate again in my life. But, you know, the intentions were good. It was like basically, okay, well, we're, we're making a lot of money and I really want to reinvest in the business and, you know, continue to have exponential growth and expand into other areas. And, you know, the reality was is that we were getting a fraction of a return on the additional employees we were adding. And it was probably detrimental to our other business parts of our business that we were losing focus on. Uh, So I actually think that in the end, we would have been way better off just staying, you know, as a five or 10 person company and really focusing on the things that we did well versus expanding so much and taking our eye off the ball of the things that really got us to be successful to begin with. So it's definitely been something that, you know, I've been real cognizant of as, as we've been doing this e-commerce stuff is a new business model. I want to segue into travel here. And in terms of being able to travel while running a business, you could maybe make the argument you have 60 employees, lots more people to do the work for you. And so you can get off and you know take off without having to worry about it. Was that the case? Did it make it easier to leave the business and just unplug and come back? Or was it kind of completely the opposite? I think it was basically the opposite. You know, at the time that we had all those employees, I was living in Costa Rica, actually, we, we had moved down there and opened an office down there. That's when we had all the employees. And, you know, I, I saw less of that country than any of my other business partners or uh, <laughs> a lot of people that I knew, because, you know, they, they had time to go on the weekends to, you know, see the volcano or go see the beach or whatever it was. And, you know, most of my time was spent, you know, catching up from things that were happening during the week that I just couldn't get to during the week and, you know, spent the weekends doing that. And, when I was traveling, uh, it was usually outside the country because I had a lot of uh, commitments for business to go to conferences and other business meetings. So I was doing a lot of traveling out of the country. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, don't think that having more employees necessarily gives you more freedom in your lifestyle. You know, there's definitely a lot of people, a lot of other podcasts and people that I follow that work on this specifically, basically, you know, having a lifestyle where you can work from anywhere and not being tied down. And, you know, that certainly wasn't the position that I was in then. And it's not really the position that I'm in right now either, as we've, you know, got in a, a warehouse and, and do our own fulfillment and such. But it's something that I'm, you know, really cognizant of and, and want the ability to, to have flexibility to travel and, and do things when I want. And uh, we're, we're getting back to that point uh, slowly but surely. It's, it's something that when we got our warehouse and, you know, started doing our own fulfillment, I was like, okay, well, you know, for the next 12 to 18 months, you know, I'm going to basically be kind of be stuck here and having to deal with this stuff. But as we hire people, it'll give me some more leeway to, to travel again. 
you know, you've done a, like we've talked about a lot of travel in Costa Rica, you've been all throughout the U.S. You did a six-week RV trip off the West Coast, which I thought was really cool. And it sounds like a lot of that time you've, it hasn't necessarily been unplugged. It's been productive time where, or hopefully productive, where you've been getting stuff done on the road. And any tips for doing that? For me, I, for me, a lot of times it's easier to be either in travel mode or in work mode. How do you, any suggestions or recommendations on how you can effectively work from the road really well? Yeah, I, mean, I definitely have a lot of experience with this, you know, with, especially with the RV trip. I mean, one thing the RV trip taught me is that the infrastructure in this country is pretty awful compared to other parts of the world. I mean, obviously, there's places that are that are way worse, but I was incredibly surprised as we were traveling up the Pacific Coast Highway that fairly large towns in California, in Northern California, would have you know, no cell phone service at all. I mean, you have to drive 20 minutes to go, just to go make a phone call. Or if you did have cell service, you'd be on 3G, you know, trying to, to get on the internet with 3G. And it was, it was tough. So, you know, my biggest tip would basically be if, if you plan on traveling and are planning on getting work done while you're traveling, which is definitely a really cool lifestyle. Uh, and I, I enjoyed that. I would recommend spending as much time in, in larger cities as possible. So you have the infrastructure, the connectivity to to get stuff done. You know, if you travel to you know major cities in the U.S. or you know across Europe or uh, even South America, et cetera, you know, just being in in city cores, you know, with a hardwired or wireless internet connection that's that's hardwired somewhere in that building is a lot better than trying to to live your life off of a hotspot. So I'd love to talk to you about domains because you you have a, a ton of experience investing in premium you know keyword domains and then building them out into income producing properties. And it's something I have a little bit of experience with uh, on a much smaller scale. But I guess off the top, what is it that you like about them? You own, you know, treadmill.com, I believe cuttingboards.com, a bunch of others. Why exact match domains uh, like this? I, I know in the past, Google used to favor them quite a bit, but it seems like, you know, two or three years ago, they kind of changed their rules and they maybe still have a little bit of SEO benefit to them, but not as much. And sometimes they can be harder to brand in terms of people remembering your company and your name. So what is it that you love about those high-end domains for building out e-commerce companies? Yeah, it's a, a good question. And my thought process has certainly evolved on this over the past decade, for sure. You know, the, the thing that kind of initially turned me on to them was the SEO power that they had. And I didn't really care about building a brand as much, you know, five years ago, let's say when I was just in the affiliate marketing game and the search engine game, thinking, okay, well, you know, someone's going to type in XYZ into Google, and I just want them to click through my link and, and make money doing that. It was great while it lasted, and you know certainly Google has done their best to to kind of push affiliate sites down the uh, search results pages as much as they can. But in this day and age, I you know I, I do agree that there there's definitely some value lost in in keyword domains, no doubt about it. But I think that you know what Matt Cutts has said and what Google's done, and, and people haven't read between the lines, I think enough here is that basically the spammy keyword domains have lost all their value. I mean, if you have something like, you know, best-cutting-boards.net, I think that domain is basically worthless now. But I would argue that cuttingboard.com is still quite valuable. You know, I think it's a decent brand name. I think that, you know, it still is good in search. So when someone types in cutting board, I mean, it's something that we rank first page for. uh, And we've done relatively little SEO efforts to, to get there. I mean, everything is completely white hat, ultra organic, you know, we just haven't gotten a tremendous amount of links. And I, I know from, you know, being in the SEO industry for, for 10 years that if we had 
you know, just some random brand name.com and we were selling cutting boards on them, we would not be ranking where we are at with a random name. So I, I, I disagree a little bit that the keyword domains have, have lost your value. I think that, you know, the premium, the ultra premium keyword domains like a treadmill.com or cuttingboard.com still carry a lot of weight. Uh, and I agree they're not quite as brandable per se as, as some of the more clever brand names, but I, I still think they're, they're brandable nonetheless. How do you acquire them, and maybe how do you acquire them without paying through the nose for them? I mean, I've, I think anyone who's been in the domain industry tried to buy a, a, anywhere from a medium to a, a decently valued domain knows that sometimes sellers can be just outrageous with what they want. So, how do you get good deals on domains? Is it where you look for them? Is it approaching people at the right time? How do you get them without losing your shirt? Yeah, no, it's. Uh... A great question, and actually something I can probably give some pretty decent advice to. And of course, it's all relative. You know, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder of what they're worth and what a good deal is. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's definitely some subjectiveness there to that. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely have contacted people about domains before uh, and gotten silly numbers back, like you know, I want ten million dollars for this or or whatever. And you know, my first tip would be, you know, you just you can't be married to a to a particular name, and it's something. You know, people ask, you know, how did you come up with like treadmills and cutting boards and ice wraps and, you know, this, all these disparate, you know, products. And, and the answer really is, is that, you know, we're, we're interested in anything that I have some level of interest in that is a, a keyword domain, but I'm not married to any one domain and I'm looking for, for the deals. So, you know, in the case of, of treadmill.com, you know, we, we know a lot of brokers because we bought and sold a lot of domain names and we're on a lot of lists and know them personally. Uh, so when, when a deal comes up, they know that we're not retail buyers or whatever, you know, they, they contact us. Uh, so I think that that's probably tip number one is to be looking for somebody who's a motivated seller. Uh, and tip number two would be to just be patient. You know, treadmill.com was a name that we were actually looking at for multiple years, but the guy was looking for like $250,000 for the domain when we first got in touch with him. And we ultimately ended up buying it for $81,500, which obviously is still a lot of money, but significantly less than what they originally were asking for it. And, you know, in the case of cutting board, I think we bought it for something like 12,000 and uh, iStraps.com was an existing site. So it was a little bit different situation. It had uh, existing sales and stuff. So I think that, you know, just, just being patient and kind of waiting things out uh, definitely helps. And, my my third tip would be to try to do stuff towards the end of the year. A lot of domainers, you know, are looking to make sales, you know, around the end of the year for for tax purposes. And the vast majority of the domain names, as it kind of works out, we picked up uh, in the month of December. Really? So, so someone would want to sell and and t- have a huge amount of income at the end of the year? I mean, I think that they're. It's just tax planning. It's hard to say exactly, you know, what it is. Maybe they have other losses that. Oh, you know, that they're trying okay. to write off against for the year, or maybe it's a situation of they know that they're going to be in a higher tax bracket the following year. I see. Uh, maybe they need to make the sale just to pay for taxes. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know why it kind of works out that way. Um, I do know that uh, in 2012, I think it was, there was a tax code change for long-term capital gains uh, in the tax rate that was applicable there. Mm-hmm. So there was a huge advantage of selling you know, before the end of that calendar year. And that's when we picked up a lot of domains. I think it's been a while and I, it's hard to keep track. I'm not a tax, a tax attorney or anything, but I do remember uh, capital gains getting different treatment. It might have actually been more like 2013 or 2014 that that change actually went into effect. But there was definitely some 
some tax code changes that kind of precipitated us getting some some deals at the end of the year of that particular year. Got you. And, and you mentioned the, originally that treadmill.com, the seller wanted you know two hundred fifty thousand. You got it for eighty one thousand. How did you do that? Was that just an issue of kind of sticking around, pinging him once a month, just not going anywhere? No one else came in, and and just over time, you kept just you just stuck around and stuck around and made sure he knew you were there. And then he just he and you said, hey, here's what we're willing to we're willing to pay. We'll pay eighty one thousand bucks for it. How did you get from two fifty to eighty one? Yeah, when I when we originally contacted him because we at one point we actually contracted out to to write uh, like a crawler to we were looking for keyword domains that like had some rankings and had and fit some particular criteria and we uh, it was a like an internal tool that we used for ourselves and we ended up contacting a bunch of uh, domainers uh, or domain owners at that time and treadmill.com happened to be one of them just randomly and the guy you know came back and was like you know we want two hundred fifty thousand for it and we were just you know no that's way too much and eventually. Like a year later, or even more later, uh, a broker contacted me about it, and I was like, that, "That's a name I've inquired about before." And I looked at my old emails and found it. And you know, at this point, his price had gone down significantly. And you know, we were like, you know, basically, we were looking to pay seventy-five thousand for it, and so we came up a little bit from that price. But yeah, I mean, it's mostly just kind of waiting around, and it's something that comes with with age and maturity. I mean, I basically, have, have realized, you know, a how difficult it is to resell these domain names because they're it's not a liquid market. Even if you get a, a really great deal on it, I mean, domains are not not liquid, so you got to be patient, uh, and, and you know that you're buying it for the long term, um, and and also always realizing that there's going to be another train that pulls into the station. It's something that's, you know, again, just kind of come with some maturity and just realizing that, you know, if someone else ends up buying treadmill.com, so be it. There'll be some other project that I can invest that money in and work on. You know, realizing that we have a finite amount of money, <laughs> but there's uh, basically an almost unlimited amount of domain name opportunities that come up. Uh, you know, just kind of just being patient from that perspective. How do you know that it's worth paying 75k for Treadmill.com? Do you do you have a pretty straightforward process where you look at you know you look at the keyword search volume, you make some assumptions about what you think, what kind of e-commerce business in terms of revenue and profitability go into there? Do you look at uh, um, like age of the domain, what goes into saying, Hey man, we're willing to pay, you know, the better part of hundred K for this thing. Yeah. And this is going to eventually lead into a, a big segue, uh, uh, probably a cool segue of the conversation, uh, but I'll get to that in just a second. But fundamentally it's, you look at search volume, that that's obviously a, a huge part of it. And then you look at cost per click. I mean, the, the data that the, the Google keyword tool or now the Google keyword planner spits out at you, 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 you know, you know, there's this many exact match searches. There's this many, you know, broad searches, and and this is kind of what the cost per click is. And you know, we have a, a spreadsheet that we put together internally that kind of maps that out. And you know, at the time that we were looking at treadmill.com, you know, we we saw that it, it got you know a huge search volume, and the cost per clicks were huge. It was I think like in the four to five dollar range. Um, so, you know, the thought process basically was, okay, well, we'll buy treadmill.com and, and turn it into an e-commerce site. It'll be, it'll be easy. <laughs> this is, and, and this was kind of the segue. And, and it was, you know, this is kind of embarrassing to admit here on the podcast, but, you know, I think just from a little bit of cockiness and, and doing, you know, affiliate marketing in the past and never really being told no, it was a real eye-opener. Like after we bought treadmill.com and we started approaching vendors and they were like, oh, well, we're not going to sell to e-commerce stores and we only, we only deal with brick and mortar stores. And so it was definitely uh, an eye opener and things, you know, definitely a lesson learned there where we should have done a lot more research on the market, 
place before you know diving uh, two feet into into a segment. And it's something that we've done a lot better at now as we evaluate the uh, e-commerce names. We you know talk to all the vendors involved and, and make sure that they're interested in selling to us and, and think about other things. You know, and here's kind of where the segue comes in with with treadmill.com. And the thing that we learned about it is you know we're not real huge fans of drop shipping, and we're definitely not fans of uh, selling things that have to go by by truck, by, you know, LTL, uh, less than truckload shipments is a, a huge eye opener. And, uh, I'm definitely happy that we've now sold treadmill.com and can focus on, on other projects. There's a, there's an entire thread in the private forums about LTL and, and some of the nightmare stories behind it and how to use it properly and, and, uh, and prep customers that will link up to that in the show notes for this. <laughs> but it's funny, I was reading through, through your blog and you've got a couple of great blogs, one at michaeljackness.com and, uh, the other one over at, uh, at ecomcrew.com. And again, we'll link up to both of those as well. And it was funny when you, when you were talking about treadmill.com because so many of the things that you had problems with were problems that, that, that we had with trollingmotors.net, specifically shipping enormous items. You know, trolling motors aren't quite as big as treadmills, but, but they're, they're in, the, in the ballpark. You know, things that models that change a lot, um, just completely having no control over, you know, there's the shipping process for big bulky items that break a lot of times. Like there's all these things that, that we both looked at, um, <laughs> that gave me deja vu and, and, and you sold it eventually. Is that one of the reasons you ended up selling the, uh, selling the store? Yeah. I mean, that was like the reason we sold it. You know, I'm kind of OCD about, um, providing great customer service and just being in control of my business. And with treadmill.com, we had no control and, because of that, I couldn't provide good customer service. It was it was basically awful. It got to the point where I woke up every morning and didn't enjoy going to work at my own company, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> not a great situation to be in. And it was definitely a huge sense of relief when we sold it. You know, I, I definitely think uh, it's a great industry for the right person. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it just, it isn't for us. I mean, for somebody that isn't as obsessive about customer service, uh, and things of that nature. Uh, and there certainly are some extremely successful uh, e-commerce fitness equipment stores out there. Um, but if you read the reviews on most of them, they're all, you know, two stars or two and a half stars kind of thing where people are just frustrated with the company. And if you're the type of person that can run a business like that, where, you know, you're not necessarily ripping people off or screwing them, but you're not able to provide that Nordstrom's level of service. If you can, you know, kind of be somewhere in between and be okay with that, you know, it can be a great business for you. But it just isn't my personality. Yeah, and you mentioned on your blog you sold it for four x seller's discretionary earnings, which for e-commerce business is is fantastic. You know, two and a half to three is is a decent multiple. How are you able to get such a good yeah. price for it? Yeah, I mean, so you know, full disclosure here. I mean. I think a lot of the reason why is because we just didn't have huge profits. I mean, we had, you know, huge top line revenues, which is great if you have an ego, which I don't. I mean, it's neat to say you ran a million dollar e-commerce store, but I really don't care about that. I mean, what I care about is, you know, putting food in the table. And at the end of the day, the the bottom line was was pretty pathetic when you, you know, take into account um, the fact that we were dealing with uh, very low profit margin items and, you know, we're, we're, we were trying to provide that really high level of customer service, you can't have both. I mean, you can't have thin profit margins and provide great customer service and take all of your own product photos and do all your own product video and descriptions and, and still make a good net profit margin at the end of the day. Were you in the like um, the, the 10 or 15% range for gross margin? Yeah, it was right about 13.5%. 
which is really pretty pathetic, in my opinion. I mean, now, you know, the things that we're looking at now, as far as gross profit, and that was gross profit was, you know, 13.5%. That was before taking any expenses. Right. Um, you know, now we're looking at, I, I won't even discuss a product uh, unless we're at 40 points and, and really want to be at more like 50. And as we uh, continue to evolve our business and are looking at white label products, I mean, we're really looking at like two to 300% uh, as a minimum margin as we move forward, just realizing that, you know, it's all about margin and shifting more that way. But just getting a little off topic, obviously, on the, the treadmill sale. The reason, you know, I really was able to get 4X is because there was kind of a cross between, you know, selling Goodwill and the domain name and the process in which we did the transition for the people uh, allowed us to get some additional money that probably wouldn't have otherwise been there. And the, the buyer of the site, it was his first e-commerce site, and he felt comfortable with us because of the type of people that we are and knew that we were going to be there for them. And it's one of the things I feel you know, really proud of at the end of the day. I mean, on the last day, we had a 30-day transition period and, and the guy just couldn't have been more complimentary and, you know, even went as far as to, you know, reach back out to the broker who uh, brokered the transaction for us and just tell them, you know, what kind of people we were. And, you know, that stuff makes me feel good at the end of the day. It makes me feel like we, we did the right thing. And I think that's why we were able to get a little bit higher price because, you know, he was buying an existing business that was really, you know, polished, uh, and it would have been pretty difficult for him to to start that from from scratch and and, and do that on his own. So I, I think that that helped command a little bit extra money. But the four X is a little bit of a a fuzzy number or an unfair thing because it wasn't like it was a a store making millions of dollars a month that we sold for four X. Uh, you know. Well, but still, but still, even selling a business on the on even still, if you're not making crazy margins, forex, some would argue that you'd even see a lower multiple then because your margins aren't as high, you know. So it's, I think uh, that's fantastic that you're able to get that. How'd the process go? You know, it seemed like you, and again, I'm just taking some some real rough cues from what I read on your blog, but it seemed from from offer to closing was very quickly, like maybe a, a month, yeah. month and a half. It went really fast. Was it a pretty smooth closing? Was there any anything you yeah. learned throughout it or big mistakes you made in, in, in the process of getting that sale closed? It was like actually incredible <laughs> that it happened so quickly. I mean, basically, you know, we had a couple people involved in this project, you know, business partners, uh, my partner Grant, uh, who I do a lot of stuff with and known for, 10 years, another partner of mine in Chicago that we did this one-off e-commerce site with because he had been looking to do something with us for a long time. And it was an evolution for each of us of when we were kind of fed up with all the things I kind of mentioned previously. So we, we kind of, at the end of December, we were like, you know what, I think we're all ready to kind of get out of this business. This isn't for us. Uh, we can be spending our time on other things and making more money with our time is really what it came down to. So at that point, we reached out to people in the business, you know, we reached out to all the manufacturers and we reached out to all of our direct competitors and uh, some affiliates that we had. And from that, we, you know, got some very level of interest and, and actually got a legitimate offer from one of them. It was a little bit lower than we wanted, but we got an offer from one of our direct competitors. And we told the guy, look, you know, it's, it's not quite what we want. So we're going to shop it on just a little bit longer. Is that okay with you? And he, he was fine with that. So at that point, I went to some broker friends that I have just because, again, we've bought and sold a lot of domain names. And this is where those relationships really helped. And one of the brokers was like, look, you know, I'm looking for existing e-commerce sites that, that make a profit, which we were. And uh, I know some people. Let me get back to you. And literally the next day, he came back to me with this guy and he knew basically the situation was like what our offer was from the other party. And I was like, look, you got to be able to beat that, including your commission, you know, for us to consider it. And 
he came back with an offer that was something like 35% or whatever higher than the offer we got from our direct competitor. And, and he closed amazingly fast. I mean, the guy actually wanted to close quicker than we did. Uh, it was, it was mid January. And I was like, I can close, uh, you know, at the end of the week. And I was like, you know, I think that we should close on February 1st, you know, just to use a, a around accounting period and everything and, and have time to, to do some transition. I don't think that he quite understood that, you know, you had to update credit card processing and get accounts created with all the different vendors and all these different things that I think that he just kind of took for granted. So yeah, I mean, it happened amazingly quick. It was kind of crazy actually, uh, but, but great, obviously. I mean, we just kind of got lucky. That's crazy. This is the first e-commerce business that you founded and you sold it, obviously. Was yeah. uh, there any emotions involved there with, with letting that initial baby go? Or were you kind of so fed up with the model at that point? You said, you know what? I'm glad to move on to other things. I mean, it was both. You know, I was definitely a bit sad because we put so much effort into it and I was the one that was basically involved with it on a day-to-day basis. And you know, just anything that I do, I, I get really emotionally invested in it, probably more than I should. So I was definitely you know, sad to see it go. Cause I, you know, obviously when we bought it and started working on it, we kind of had real high hopes for it. And, you know, it was definitely sad, but then at the same time, I was incredibly relieved because it was just so stressful dealing with the business model that we kind of talked about with, especially the, you know, LTL drop shipping type model. You mentioned earlier, there was a thread in the forum about like how to be successful with LTL. And I want to go find that thread and make a post that the way to be successful with LTL is to to sell your business that does LTL. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ping you on it as soon as we get off the call. I'll ping you on it. I'd love to see that addition. Uh, Michael, I think that's an awesome place to end. Thanks thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you in the forum. I'm looking forward to, to connecting with you in Chicago here in a couple months. And yeah, it's great to dive into your experience. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks, Andrew. That's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55-page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private forum. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the form at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.